Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 221 for August 25th, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we bring on a guest to talk about recovering World War I and two soldiers in Latvia through the organization Legenda Military Archaeology. The CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Bill in California. Good morning. And also Heather in California. I'm going to have to get more specific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> All right. So, man, the CRM Archaeology Podcast is kind of on a roll. And thanks to Heather, because we've had a few great interviews in, in the last month or so. We've got another one coming up. And then stay tuned. We have another interview on our next episode coming up with a CRM archaeologist, basically um, somebody who's had an interesting career trajectory and done some stuff that's led her to CRM. So stay tuned for that. But this week, we are going to focus on something completely different. And uh, Heather brought this guest to us and this idea. So I'm going to let her introduce the guest. Heather, it's all you. Sure. Well, Victoria, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Hi. I'm going to introduce what group Victoria is with. Victoria's been part of this group for a very long time, and you'll understand why basically all her life uh, as we get into the podcast. But the group that she is involved with is called Legenda Military Archaeology. It's a nonprofit organization that covers and identifies missing soldiers from the First and Second World Wars in Latvia. It's just, it's a fascinating group. It's a, it's a group that, I mean, these are all volunteers that donate all of their, uh, quite a bit of their free time to not only recover these soldiers and give them the honor that they should have and, and reunite in some ways the, you know, the, the uh, families with the soldiers that, you know, have been lost for many, many years, in some cases, a hundred years. So, you know, this is a group that started 20 years ago. And I'm going to let Victoria kind of explain you know, as we go throughout the podcast how, how that came to be during the wars, the second, first and second world wars. You know, a lot of times the people, the, the bodies of those that had perished were pretty much buried exactly where they fell and, and sometimes in other ways. But basically, none of them were proper burials. So this group is dedicated to making sure that um, these soldiers, no matter what country they come from, not just Latvian soldiers, but no matter what country they come from, that they are recovered and given a, a, a proper burial So and reunited with their families, if at all possible. So 
First of all, Victoria, Legenda has been in existence for 20 years. And I really would like to hear, because first of all, Victoria is the daughter of one of the founders. So no better person to ask than her. What was the impetus in the beginning of Legenda? What, what got this started? Well, the story has been told to me by my father multiple times. I've been asking him about it recently as well, because we're making the film and I need to know the details. So the thing that he told me was... It all started in 1999, summer, and I was one. And you can imagine a child, a toddler, at one years old needs a lot of attention. And so my father was watching the news with me and my mom, and he saw how one of the leaders of Legenda, Talis, was digging up a tank, recovering somewhere in Latvia. So he looked at my mom and he said, can I please go? Because it's really, really exciting. And I really, really, really want to take part in that. And I love my mom. She said, yes, please go do this. This is your passion. So he went there immediately. It was like a 30 minute drive and he met Talis and together, uh, knowing that this is something that they need to do because it hasn't been done before. They started Legenda. After also meeting one of the other founders, Duxi, who one day called, I don't remember who he called, but it wasn't Legenda because it, it did not exist as an organization before, but he called somewhere, maybe the War Cemetery Committee, that he thought in the back of his backyard at a farmhouse, there are four soldiers buried. And so... The War Cemetery Committee called my father and Talis, and they came and they checked. There were no soldiers, but they made a very important contact. And together, the three of them, the same year, created Legenda, because so many calls like these are received. Most of them are legends, because, you know, you don't know if, or don't remember, or it has been told through generations that there are soldiers buried in your backyard. So who do you call? You call Legenda. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> like Ghostbusters, we got yeah, to check. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that this is definitely, at least for me, it's kind of a foreign thought that, you know, somebody would think they have uh, burials in their backyard. I mean, obviously we, we have that here with, you know, prehistoric burials and, and sometimes historic, historic burials. But for the most part, this is a lot more prevalent in Latvia. And I think it's important. There's kind of a race against time. I, I, I'd like you to maybe get into a little bit why this is so important because of the fact that there are others with nefarious reasons that are actually also doing the same thing, but not doing it for the right reason. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess the people that you're talking about that are not doing it for the right reasons are called black diggers here who just search for items and not soldiers. But Naturally, the reason is because so many of these remains lay on private land and people randomly stumble upon them, either by doing construction or, oh, I needed to dig a potato field and I dug a bit too far and, oh my God, there are bones. And then there's also the race of time in terms of nature. Nature can be very rough, especially if the earth is acidic. We find a lot of remains that are just, you know, you, those are bones, but they literally fall apart 
once you pick them up. So 10 years more, I'm pretty sure you won't have anything left there. So for those that aren't familiar with the group, they have a fabulous uh, Facebook site. They also have a, a website too, but the, on the Facebook site, they post uh, videos and sometimes just like the almost the entire excavation they will post its hours where you can just watch them do their thing. And many times you're hitting the water table. Many times you're in a very swampy land. It's messy work, (laughs) but I can imagine that, yeah, that's a very good point that, you know, these burials will not be there for for very much longer. So how many people do you have in Legenda and typically how do they become involved? Unfortunately, we do not keep, track of those who are involved in Legenda right now, but we're planning to do that. I think in terms of people who are native to Latvia, there's around 100 people. And from outside Latvia, I think there's 30, 31. To get involved in Legenda, before it was just, oh, I know this one friend of mine. I think he could be very helpful. He likes to work. Can we get him on a dig and see if, you know, he fits the group or something. And, you know, we're all volunteers. We, we just try to do our best. And we know we have a lot of people who also want to volunteer, but they're just, you, you cannot manage so many people on a small land. Like usually we recover like one, two soldiers a day. Sometimes it's a mass grave and there's 10, 20. And you cannot have all 150 people on the same digging site. Yeah, I can imagine also just because, you know, you mentioned the black diggers. So basically yeah. the black diggers are, are people that, you know, they're, there's a market for the military goods that end up in the graves. Specifically, you know, I know that you've mentioned before, I've seen it, you know, during your filming of the excavations, that the Russian soldiers, you know, unlike at least American soldiers or other countries, they would actually go into combat with all of their medals. And so if they perish in that combat, then you have all these medals. And these bring, you know, quite a bit of money along with other pieces from uniforms. And because of that, these black diggers are going in there and they're basically desecrating these makeshift graves just so that they can get the goods and they're not respectful of the remains and you know, they just take what they need and, and they go. And so, you know, I know you guys are, you know, it's very evident from the filming of all these excavations that you're very uh, respectful of everything. So everything that comes out of the ground that belongs to that soldier, that at least you can figure out belongs to that soldier, goes into your casket. It's a like a cardboard casket. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Well, first of all, the black diggers, they're not just desecrating the graves. The metals can actually help us identify the soldier that's buried there. So it's 10 times worse knowing that you could have helped someone get back to their family. And that information is lost a lot of the times. The process of why and how we put them in the cardboard boxes, right? Yeah, I mean, like maybe even the process, because those that generally listen to this podcast are archaeologists. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of the the process of, you know, what it is that goes into in with the the remains and kind of a a high view of, of how you guys do that. 
Well, usually we just put the remains themselves in the cardboard box. Sometimes it's personal items or some sort of identification because we usually just put it in a in an archive with the War Cemetery Committee, the number of the identification and things like that. But I think the piece itself goes in with the soldier because it's their item. Mm-hmm. And we we really value the fact that, you know, we can put the soldier back to the ground in this cardboard box with all of the items that he was carrying and, you know, lay, lay him to his final piece where people can come and visit them. So the, the boxes, just to kind of give a visual to our listeners, the boxes, they look like almost like ossuary boxes or bone boxes, but they're small. They're about, I would say maybe two and a half feet long or three mm-hmm. feet long, about a foot wide and about maybe a foot and a half deep. They have that kind of a beveled edge. They're specifically meant for this purpose. It's not just a cardboard box, but they're made out of something that will easily dissipate into the ground rather than, you know, it's not wood or anything like that. And it's also, you know, there are so many remains that you're dealing with that, you know, the cost has got to be prohibitive to put them into, you know, some elaborate box, much less, you know, all the other aspects and and the costs that that go along with doing an excavation like this. So, but it's, it's pretty impressive. You know, at the end, you guys have a ceremony that you typically, you know, you laid them out and I know, you know, we can go into it, but I'm, I'm really curious. I, I know our listeners would be interested to find out how it is that you do identify, you make these connections with and, and find out who exactly these people are prior to burying them. So, because I know that if you're able to identify the type, you know, the soldier and the soldier's origin, country of origin, then you give that country the opportunity to bring those remains back to their country, correct? If it's possible, yes. Yeah. But a lot of the times it's the reality that you cannot bring remains right. over the border. Right. So... That was actually my question. I was wondering, you know, with this being World War One and World War Two soldiers, I imagine they're not all, you know, from Latvia. They would be from other places. So I, I was just curious about repatriation, for lack of a better word, uh, of how this works. Do people come and get the remains of, you know, family members or descendants or if those can't be located? Is it governments or do you, are they just kept in Latvia and buried there? I would really love to go deeper into the process but the reality (laughs) right now is that we find soldiers whether they're german russian whatever they're Mm -hmm. buried at the war cemeteries that are meant for them so let's say first world war german cemetery boom second world war uh, russian something cemetery boom and uh yeah that's how it works right now because you can't always identify a soldier so you, you have a lot of unknown soldiers laying in the ground and they need a resting place. And uh, sending soldiers over the border isn't always the possibility. So yeah. we have dedicated war cemeteries for them. Is that the cemetery organization that you've talked about previously? Are they the ones that set up those different places or you know, final resting places, the cemeteries? So it's, yeah, it's the War Cemetery Committee. They have been responsible for that since the 20s. 
after the First World War. And they're the ones who order those cardboard boxes for us to bury the soldiers in and provide support and information. And, you know, they're they're just great. We'll be putting the the link to the Legenda Military Archaeology in the show notes. And I highly recommend you you know, take a look. They they have some beautiful pictures of the ceremonies. They're done so well. It's so it's so respectfully and beautifully done. These ceremonies that I know that Legenda basically made. They're they're the reason that these happen, and it's it's pretty impressive and it's it's really really nicely done. They they put them, you know, place them in the ground. There's flowers. Um, they bring dignitaries in. Um, they you know they they have. Um, religious dignitaries come in and, and say their blessings. It's so, it's just beautifully done. It's hard to explain with words, but, it, you know, there's videos and, and there's pictures that can uh, communicate that. So, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. We love when we get the opportunity to experience the joy of finding someone who was lost and the joy of bringing everybody peace. And we only get to do it with them. With the cemetery committee? Yeah, with the cemetery committee, right. with the priests coming along, all all the beautiful stuff. Right. Hmm. Great. Well, I think this is a perfect opportunity to take a break. And on the other side, we'll we'll start talking about the the more personal relationship of Legenda with Latvia and then the relationship involvement that uh, Victoria has with uh, Legenda. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 221, and we are taking a slight detour from essentially U.S.-based CRM Archaeology, like we mostly talk about, <laughs> and kind of branching out a little bit, which is great because it it broadens everybody's horizons and we get to talk about different things. So I want to know, uh, Victoria, how the Latvian people basically see Legenda, right? Like, how is this? Is this well received there? Do, does everybody know about it, for example? I mean, I know Latvia is not 
an enormous country. So I would imagine, given the impact of World War One and World War Two on a country of this size, that you know having burials and soldier burials and things like that is probably unfortunately common. And just how do the Latvian people view this organization, and do they generally support it? Well, I guess support is very basic, very normal. Like people know, some people know we exist, but we're not widely known. We have news reporters making, you know, news about us and writing mm-hmm. articles. But regarding archaeology itself, a lot of professionals in Latvia do not agree with what we do. And after talking to Heather and getting the cultural <laughs> resource management title, very well known to me now, I think <laughs> I could have argued better if I knew it before. Mm. But now we we do not get involved at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I've I've talked to kind of Victoria at at length about, you know, some some of the, you know, archaeology has its culture in and of itself and, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast. And, you know, a lot of times people make these harsh or rash decisions. You know, I think that I've made some connection with uh, and told Victoria that actually what I think they do is very much like CRM archaeology. So CRM archaeology, a lot of times people consider it, they call it salvage archaeology. And so it's very different than the academic side of archaeology because in most times, you know, with an academic archaeology, they have, they know of a site, they're studying a site, a known site. There's a specific reason they're studying that site where CRM archaeology these sites are brought to them because some through some sort of development, construction, agricultural work, any kind of ground disturbance, a discovery, what we call an inadvertent discovery, is made. And it needs to be treated. There needs to be something done um, in order to preserve it. Either we preserve the site entirely or we, through the collection of artifacts and data, that we try to preserve at least the information that we can glean from the site. And so I think I actually see this as being very similar. So, you know, you have sometimes they call perfection can be the enemy of good, right? So if you're if you're going to say, okay, and I know through talking to Victoria that some sometimes some of the academic archaeologists have said, no, you have to do everything proper and you have to, you know, make sure that you you get all the information, all the data before, you know, you go on to your next 10 centimeter level. And, and you know, that's great if you have the time. But when you're working and you have a race against time where development is going to move forward. And remember, this is Latvia, so I just assume that they don't have the same kind of, you know, environmental regulations and laws in place to preserve sites. And then also you have this other element of the black diggers that are going in and they're they're just ruining, just like Victoria said, any kind of provenance with the soldiers and the ability to be able to bring these soldiers and at least put them to rest, which is, in my opinion, Yes, I think it's great that if we could, you know, dissect some of these, you know, war sites, these battlefield sites, that would be tremendous. But the most important thing is the human element and that these soldiers be put to rest. That's the Mm -hmm. most important thing. And so if you have a choice between the two, I think that is what has to take a precedence. And so to me, I see a lot of what Legenda does as CRM archaeology and I told Victoria that there is this chasm between, unfortunately, between academia 
and CRM archaeology. Academia many times does not give CRM that due in that respect. And so I, ju I just think what the group does is tremendous. And if it wasn't for them, there would be so many more soldiers that were not able to be put to rest. And I'd, I'd love to hear Bill's opinion <laughs> from speaking of <laughs> academia. <laughs> Bill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I have a couple of questions, but my first one is, where is really the focus in Latvian archaeology right now? I mean, there's just so much, since I found out this was what we were going to focus on, I spent some time, you know, looking up the whole area, and I was just thinking about probably a thousand amazing archaeological time periods and sites and, you know, places. There's just so many questions I have about the whole area, but I guess my first question would be, where is most of the... Uh, academic or the formally trained archaeologists, where are they mostly focusing in Latvia? Well, we usually focused on medieval, early medieval settlements, burials, you know, stuff like that. I, when I worked for a professional archaeologist, we were digging up a river that used to go through the old town, but was, I think, closed up in the 18th or 19th century. So we found stuff in there going back to the settlement of Riga, 12th century, something like that. And yeah, that's what I experienced in Latvian professional archaeology. Yeah, I guess they just do medieval ages. None of them have, I've never seen any of them do anything related to World War II and or World War One, which, you know, they're very welcome to come and join or do it themselves, but they never do. And I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think just, just to give you some background, Bill, I don't know if you stumbled across this during your research, but some of the detractors with Legenda in the past have been non-Latvian archaeologists and not even people that study in Latvia, but just conflict archaeologists that are primarily based in Britain, I think. Yeah, because the, I mean, that that kind of leads me into the next question, because the idea would be that, you know, folks from Latvia who are part of their own country would be trying to handle their own heritage and everything. And part of it is these two amazing uh, apocalyptic wars that just traipsed across the country, you know, World War One and World War Two. Folks from Latvia, you know, they participated, but they weren't the main belligerents. And so they're, they're left with kind of the, the remains of these massive wars. And I don't, I don't really know who the detractors are. That's why I asked if it was folks that are in the country that are archaeologists that don't think that this is real archaeology. And, you know, from what you said, Heather, that most of the people are saying something that come from outside of that country they're not really folks who have this kind of situation going on. Like they're, if they're right. coming from the United States and they're saying something about it, we haven't had a massive, you know, hundreds of millions person war that went across our country that wasn't our own actual, you know, citizens and everything. So it's a completely different situation. So then that brings into the, the conversation questions about, you know, who is really in charge of saying, you know, what goes like who, Who's the one who gets to say uh, how those individuals are excavated and what methods are used? And if it's something that's going on that's, you know, accepted in Latvia and that's just the way that they do this kind of salvage archaeology, then, you know, it's, it's kind of for us, us to stand back and watch and maybe ask questions, but, uh, you know, be the bystanders, right, to actually just watch things happen. Because th it, this argument comes up a lot when academic archaeologists find out that we're using backhoes and other 
heavy machinery on archaeological sites or that we're excavating off this other layer that's more recent from the early 20th century so that we can get down to the prehistoric layer. These kind of conversations go on all the time in, in academic archaeology where they think that maybe we should be using uh, toothbrushes the whole way down 10 you know meters until we finally get to the site mm-hmm. that we're looking at. So it's not really the same. If we're talking about methods, then wouldn't we want to watch what they're doing there and maybe contribute if we can positively? And if not, then, you know, uh, contribute monetarily, because that's my next question. Right, right. Are there organizations that are actually assisting Latvia financially and technically? Like we have a thing in the United States called JPAC, which is a Joint POW-MIA Accounting mm-hmm. Command, which is something from the United States Department of Defense. It's an organization that has bioanthropologists and archaeologists and historians and folks who are looking for missing U.S. soldiers, specifically from uh, the Vietnam War. But I think that they probably work on any space where there's American soldiers soldiers that are lost uh, associated with World War II and other wars, but they have a concerted effort and they have funding behind it to work with governments in places like, you know, India or formerly Burma or Vietnam or Guam or these other locations where U.S. soldiers have fallen to try and find where human remains are at for U.S. soldiers. So do you have something like that? Is there something coming from Russia or Germany? I know those are the two main countries, but do you have something like that that's helping you out with professional archaeology? just funding, quality tools, technical expertise, and then kind of an organized research domain. Do you have something like that? So before I answer that question, I need to tell you that everything that we do is completely legal. We have all the permissions to work the way that we do, and we follow specific standards that have been set by the War Cemetery Committee. And regarding sponsorship or anything, we get our finances literally from donations. Mm-hmm. We are not supported by the government. Mm-hmm. We have some support from the War Cemetery Committee. I think some support from Volksbund. And everything else is just, you know, people who like what we do, donating. Then, you know, s- companies like MindLab that produce these huge... They're not metal detectors, but there's something like it. Basically, they can look deep into the ground to help us understand if... It's worth digging two meters down or not, if there are remains or anything else, any disturbance in the ground. So, yeah, everything that we get, we get from people basically privately. And it helps to pay for fuel or pay, like, to help contribute burying soldiers, which is something that we do also contribute to ourselves. So... Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a it's a major grassroots effort. You know, the more that I've been talking to you, Victoria, and to some of the other members, it's just to me, it, it's really impressive what you guys have been able to do, you know, with, with the limited funds that you have. Yeah, it's, and it definitely it's, you know, there are people that deeply believe that what you're doing is important. And those are the ones that are primarily providing the you know, the financial support along with, I know there's some, like you said, mind lab and some tech tech companies that have at least donated at least technology, but you know, a lot of it, not only, which just as I've been become more and more a part of your group, the research, you know, there's as much time donated as there is money. The, the amount of time that you're the Legenda members put into this, 
into the the research efforts is is really astounding. So is it just Latvia? I mean, I'm just trying to figure this out because we've got this massive war, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is the is is the United States for World War II doing this for you know our fallen in Italy or France or something like that? And I'm also wondering how come Germany and Russia are not part of this whole, like, it's just kind of strange for me, once again, coming from the United States, where our wars don't have anywhere close to as many casualties as World War One or World War Two in these countries, right? Is it just a matter of just capacity? You know, Germany and, and Russia just don't have the funds to try and look for these, hundred, you know, tens of millions of fallen over uh, 60 years. Like, it just seems kind of strange to me that they wouldn't even at least give you the maps and, you know, the locations of where individuals were at day by day by unit, because it seems like their archives would have that kind of stuff unless somehow the archives were destroyed. Like it just seems odd that you would be going out there with kind of no idea of where stuff's at. In addition no, to do. not even having any yeah. funding. I mean, just having to go to the archives and figure it out on your own. It's kind of crazy right. that at least, you know, the German Republic today isn't just giving you, okay, well, here's all of the logs. I mean, we're talking something that's like 70 plus years ago. Here's all the logs of where all these units are at digitized. And here's, you know, where they should have been at this time. And we know that we lost X amount of individuals or the same thing uh, coming from Russia. It just seems odd that you wouldn't even get that because I know that when uh, JPAC, and, and the only, like I said, I'm not a bioanthropologist. I just have colleagues who have worked for JPAC. They spend a lot of time researching where a single plane with six individuals went down, mm-hmm. you know, in the jungle or something like that. And they'll look through all of that stuff. And that stuff is made available to these university archaeologists and other folks who are affiliated so that they can more target their their efforts to try and find these individuals. It just seems strange that you're kind of uh, unsupported like that. And, I, and you know, my next question is how come? And I'm not German and I'm not Russian, so I can't say anything about those things. I can't talk about how those governments operate, but it seems kind of odd. And then it makes me wonder if that's how other European governments operate for all these wars going back. You know, have they just do they just kind of move on and whoever was buried by the soldiers at the time, those are the ones that are in the veteran cemetery. But like, you know, these hundreds of thousands of people who are just missing, like, do they just kind of wash their hands of it until a farmer finds them? I mean, it's just an odd thing for me to think about. Yeah. It, it, it's really uncomfortable. The whole situation, the Russian and the German governments, they do help to bury the soldiers, but not always, which is really, really sad because you know, it's their people. We do also do our own research unless someone, you know, calls us and tells us, oh, 70 years ago, my grandma saw 10 soldiers being buried here and then she heard shots coming from that direction. But my grandma is not alive anymore. So go ahead and look. So I think this is a good opportunity for us to take a break. And on the other side, segment three, we're going to talk a little bit about some efforts and some creative efforts that uh, Victoria's put together in order to find ways for other kind of fundraising and for acknowledgement and uh, more understanding uh, in the public of what they do so that they can find some more support. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back with Victoria from Legenda Military Archaeology. And, you know, in this last segment, we were talking a lot about just, you know, the support and the, the burden of being able to do this. I mean, there's, you can have that passion, you can have the desire to, to do the right thing and, and bring these soldiers back to a, a place of peace, give them a, you know, a, a respectful burial. But, you know, it's, it's difficult. The communicating to the public what you're doing, getting that support, both, you know, the, the moral support, but also the financial support, because obviously this takes this takes a lot of money. For those of us that are CRM archaeologists, we know this you know doing this sort of thing is not cheap. It, it takes a, a you know a lot of financial and a lot of time. Which you know it's the more that I learn about Legenda, the more impressed I am with the amount of time that that people have donated to to these efforts. So in this segment, I'd like to talk about. The documentary, Victoria, that you have started work on, and this is just to give some context. There was a documentary that was made several years ago about Legenda and the journey of discovery and the purpose of the group. And um, I was fortunate enough, Victoria uh, sent it to me. I was able to watch it. It was fascinating, actually. I really enjoyed it. I really felt and related to the Legenda members that were highlighted in the group. And there's so many, you know, it, it, is, it was complex. It was dealt with not just from what they're doing, but how it impacted each individual person that was involved in this passion project. And um, one of the wonderful and absolutely definitely the cutest star of the documentary keep smiling was victoria and i I don't know how old you were you look like maybe you were seven or eight five five wow you were an old five (laughs) you're an old soul anyway so yeah and uh uh, so maybe uh victoria if you could just tell us a little bit about this original keep smiling documentary and then we'll talk about your documentary and the connection between the two. Yeah, well, I've never actually asked the creators why the documentary happened. So I don't know the details, how it even came along. I knew there was a script and then there was a camera and a camera operator and they just went in and did the film. And I was in there and I was confused most of the time. But when the <laughs> film came out on the big screen is when Victoria figured out Victoria wants to be in the movie business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You, you you get to tell incredible stories in a very captivating visual way. And oh, my God. It hooked you right away. Just like archaeology has hooked the rest of us, right? Yeah. But, you know, I was born into archaeology. So right. being shown in a film and being shown how a film can tell a story in a very captivating way yes. just, just did something to me. I, I remember... I I then talked to the director. I was also five when it came out. 
And I was like, I want to do film. Can you please <laughs> tell me what I need to do? So that, that was fun. The documentary, not only, it was mainly focused on kind of this passion project, the connection between those that were involved and kind of the, you really got to see an, a day-to-day life. Um, you got to see the human connection. You got to see, you know, how it impacted the family and how the family, everybody was involved in this passion project and how, you know, it kind of went from it, it, almost how they kind of stumbled, not, not in a bad way, but how they just kind of stumbled along to, you know, now you see them in, in museums, you know, they're, they're letting the Latvian people understand, you know, what happened through the medium of museums, while at the same time, they're recovering these burials and giving proper, proper burials to these soldiers. I think the, my understanding with your, the new documentary is that you're still going to have that element, but that there's a story, there's an underlying story that you're potentially going to be telling of the journey of somebody trying to find a loved one. Is that correct? Definitely. Definitely. Because you have to tell these stories. Um, you know, when, when Keep Smiling was made, it, it was just four years into Legenda's existence. And we are now past 22 years. We've grown a lot. We've evolved. There's many more of us now. And I think right now is the best time to tell the story of new legenda. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I don't even know where to begin because there is so much that we are planning to tell, not, not just the process of finding soldiers or, you know, families that have been involved, um, hurt by the experience, but just personal experiences. Why, why, why are we doing this? What is the meaning behind it? Why do we need to tell the story? Stuff like that. So as archaeologists, you know, there are times where obviously, you know, it's a passion for most of us. I would say probably a large majority of us. But there are moments in time where you feel this instant connection, this human connection through discovery. And then that human connection and your own personal experience assists you in your interpretation of what it is that you do discover you know, it's also a large part of the romance of archaeology. So from what I know about the documentary, it appears that it it focuses on the experience of a certain person and the this desire to find their loved one. And, and maybe that's just my perception. I know that you did a small, you know, a small film that you did with your iPhone, which was extraordinary. In fact, if at all possible, I'd love to put it in the show notes because it was beautifully done. And it talks about, kind of gives you a little snippet. I, I think it's pretty short, but it, but it was beautifully done. It was Victor, Victoria's work. And, you know, you do highlight a, a woman who is your host. And I'm not sure if she had a loved one that was lost or if she was the person who owned the property. But I think it was so well done in being able to communicate the connection that the Latvian people individually have. And just like Bill was saying, is that, you know, some of the scars that are on just the Latvian conscience of having to endure, you know, a world war like this or multiple world wars like this is, you know, being able to 
delve into that. And, and I mean, it just, it would probably take a hundred documentaries to really cover it fully. So do you have an idea of if you're, what specifically you're going to focus on in this? I really want to tell the personal stories of the people who are involved because we have, we get very interesting people um, sharing their stories, uh, asking to find their relatives. And a lot of the times, you know, we get a few messages a week, uh, people asking to find the relatives. And a lot of the times the search for any information can be very, very tricky. It could take months. And we, we just had an experience recently where we did just that. We, we were looking for multiple months until we finally found the place. And just now, I think next week, we are going to go and see if the place is actually correct. And there's a 70% chance that it is. And then the 30 that, oh my God, we failed. And we have to scrap it and start the research again. So stories like that is something that I also want to put in the film along with along with just, you know, personal experiences. Uh, as I said, why are we doing this? That is the, the main question that I want to answer in the film, as well as just bring attention to Legenda and spark interest in Latvian history and the importance of finding all these soldiers and burying them just everything everything sounds like an amazing project i mean i know that what you're what you all are doing is extraordinary and i mean i, I there's no real parallels that i can imagine so you know i just i can't wait to see how the whole thing unfolds i've been watching from afar uh, a lot of the things going on the controversies between uh, you know what you folks are doing and what some of the other just relic hunters are doing it's kind of disgusting what some people are doing over there but uh, you know, like moving forward, you know, do I think that, you know, one of the main things that could grow from all this, aside from raising awareness, is possibly trying to set up some kind of training program or some kind of formal way to recover human remains as uh, exists in a lot of other, uh, a lot of other places. And so do you have any plans to, uh, you know, work with professional archaeologists or work with some of these recovery groups to try and figure out, you know, a way that you can kind of um, join the larger movement that have happened in a lot of other places, like the places I'm most familiar with are Bosnia, Herzegovina and um, Rwanda to try and find human remains. Uh, are you interested in joining that whole group and getting training uh, as whatever they, whatever their systems are so that you can kind of, join this larger movement because what's sad is there's the potential that maybe someday this could possibly happen again and that we would need skilled and dedicated folks like you all to help us in the future so is there any kind of motion towards that does does the film show you having some kind of formal systems or something that would basically have the detractors realize you know you're moving forward and that you are organized and that you know contrary to what they think you're a legitimate organization you know not that I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to say you're not a legitimate organization, but I know as someone who's an archaeology professor, and as Heather mentioned, that how they feel about what cultural resources do, you know what I'm saying? Like, they definitely think there's a division, and I can imagine there's a division there in Europe. So um, does, does the film have the potential to do that too? Yeah, I definitely want to go into details of how we do things, the process from A to Z, 
And Legenda each year is growing, learning new things and expanding. And one of the thoughts that one of the founders has said is that we would like to collab collaborate with a university that would come and do studies here and in return teach us as well, because why not? Why not? But as long as we get to do things fast, we're fine. I think the key is, I actually think that, you know, Victoria and I have talked about this, that they really, academia, anybody that helps has got to understand the tr the idea of triage here. And that being that, you know, the importance is, is that before these sites get destroyed, that the most important thing is that the remains are recovered. Now, understanding that, you know, I think a lot of times, Victoria and Legenda is working on areas that will be destroyed if this work is not done. And so, you know, understanding that concept that we can't take out the toothbrushes, as as Bill said, and that I do think that actually, it should, you know, having uh, groups inform, you know, the, the group that you're talking about, Bill, I think would definitely have a much better grasp on how to how to inform Legenda and you know, to work with them, you know, I, I think, to be honest with you, just the time that I've spent with them and what I do know, which is minimal at this point, but I'm still very impressed with the amount of research that goes into um, everything they do. And that the fact that their desire is to do the right thing, they are very careful just because of that passion in and of itself. But, you know, obviously, all archaeologists, we can do things better, we can you know, learn better methods. And I definitely think that that might help, but it would have to be the right person because I do know that in the past, there have been individuals that have come in and have said, not just a Legenda, but to other groups that do this. There are other groups. There's a group in Belgium. There's There are other groups that do this that are volunteer groups. And they've come in and said, no, you can't do it that way. And then they want to slow the process down, which again, might help getting 10 burials out of the ground while thousands of burials are destroyed. And so there has to be some kind of middle ground where people understand that, yes, methods are important. Getting as much data as we can is important. But again, you know, perfection can't be the enemy of good here. And we can't put aside the, the actual purpose of getting the burials out of the ground and only focus on the data and the information potential. I think it can be both, but it's got to be the right, the right person to assist in that journey. I completely agree with you. Definitely. Yeah, this has been great and it's amazing. And I don't know if you know, Victoria, but secretly I already use this as one of the ethical questions in my classes here at Berkeley. I have for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, it, here in the United States, students are familiar with, uh, you know, the ethics of working with African-American slave remains or Native American human remains. But then when I talk about something like this, where there's you know, tens of thousands of people buried in unmarked graves or buried in trenches or, you know, the result of uh, freezing or starvation. When they look at the magnitude of what's going on, a lot of times the students are just kind of like they just they can't figure out, you know, what what's the right path. So, uh, you know, I think that helping families and doing what you're doing is definitely one of the right paths, right? You're, you're helping individuals and, you know, it's your country that has to deal with all this stuff and you're not necessarily getting a lot of support. So I can't wait to see what's going on and uh, in your future. And so maybe you can give us a little information about what's next, what's coming up in the near future. Wow. That's a really good question. As far as I can see at the moment regarding Legenda, 
we are trying to do everything to reach a specific level where everyone is happy, starting from agenda and then the surroundings. And it's, it's a very hard thing to balance, to be efficient and fast and also do things correctly. Because what is the correct way? Except for finding the remains, ex uh, exhuming them the right way, which is for us, uh, we do use brushes actually. A lot of the times if it's sand, because if it's uh, clay, you can't do that. So as much as we can, we try to do it the archaeological way, keeping in mind that we need to do things fast. And yeah, that's that. Just, you know, for some context, what I do for a living, obviously I do CRM, but one of my research focuses is human osteology. I am my uh, company's corporate osteolo human osteologist. So when we do, when, you know, through the process of our projects, come across human burials. I'm the one who does respond and treat and put together a methodology. And I will say that, you know, I've been watching Legenda and again, you know, I've said it this multiple times, you know, I, I wouldn't be as supportive of this group if I didn't see the value in, in their methods. And, you know, of course, like I said, every archaeologist can improve methodology. And, you know, I hope that, you know, with my involvement, I can assist in that way in a very from a very humble perspective because to say that you know what they've done already is pretty impressive in fact i would put quite a few of their uh, members uh, against uh, many people in the crm world that i've worked with so you know I, I give a lot of props to to the legenda members and and how they've improved their methods over the years i just want to you know finish the podcast by introducing the fact that we are uh, going to team up with Victoria and Aaron, her filmmaker, and we have now created a new podcast that's going to chronicle the filming process of in real time of this documentary called Still Smiling. I guarantee you that this is, you know, I can't, just like Victoria said, it's a creative process. And so to be able to put it down, you know, one, two, three, this is exactly what's going to happen, which I think, you know, it. That's not possible because, like I said, it's a creative process, but I think it's going to make it even more more tantalizing, more interesting. And that is we're going to be providing a sneak peek into the final film product. We're going to allow the listeners an intimate understanding of both the Legenda group and the story of Discovery from the perspective of a family member and perspective of the Legenda members themselves. And so we hope that as many are interested in this type of work are just even just a little curious that you'll take that journey with us and we're going to be doing that for the next six to eight months and i'm victoria i'm just i'm so excited that you're that you're willing to do this and and uh, i think it's going to be going to be a wonderful journey so thank you okay well with that yeah we will Say goodbye to this podcast, and there's links in the show notes for a lot of the things that we did talk about, so go check that out, and when the podcast starts releasing, we will, of course, let you guys know that as well, and yeah, again, thank you, Victoria, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. 
Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. 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 Stay tuned for a Still Smiling Podcast. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From.